My next guest is a former All-Pro NFL kicker as well as a recurring guest of the show, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Blair Walsh. Blair, is everything going? Good. How are you doing, man? Good to be back on. Good. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I'm good. I'm kind of just waiting for NFL season to get going. Um, having a little, not much really going on. It's kind of been really dead. I know training camp starting up in a couple weeks. Is anything that's kind of caught your eye, or is it kind of just just kind of just been waiting for football to get going? Honestly, the thing we were just talking about, the thing that caught my eye the most was Aaron Rodgers in the match and at the ACC tournament in Tahoe. And for both of for any viewers that are wondering what the heck I'm talking about, both of those are golf tournaments and in a charity format. And he played a big part in both of them. And uh, it's kind of interesting to see him being interviewed by media, members of the media and non-members and kind of just given his take on the season. So I think we're, we're officially on Aaron Rodgers watch right now. Do you think he, he'd retire? Do you think he'd play that card? I don't think he'd retire. I think it's a pretty big move to walk away from the Packers at this point, at this stage in his career, because I do believe Aaron has bigger goals uh, in mind for the end of his career. And when I say bigger goals, I mean Super Bowls. I don't think Aaron wants to walk away with just one Super Bowl because it would almost seem as some sort of a disappointment for a guy with as much talent as Aaron has. So I think retirement for him is out of the question, but I absolutely could see him holding out and that forcing their hand. I, I don't know what he wants from them exactly, but I, I could see foresee that happening. Do you think it's about money or do you think he's just, he's just kind of done? For me personally, I, I think as, as a, as a former NFL player, there are very few times you have absolute control over your own destiny. Uh, some would argue you never do. And I think somebody like Aaron Rodgers felt completely disrespected by the drafting of, of Jordan Love and felt that the team almost kind of embarrassed him publicly. And if you want my honest take, I think by him not giving a definitive answer of saying, I'm absolutely coming back, I'm absolutely the Green Bay Packers quarterback, that's his way of publicly embarrassing them. And so therefore, I don't really think he's looking for anything in particular. I think it's much more of hey, I want to let you know and remind you that I am still the franchise and the franchise quarterback, and I have been and will be for the foreseeable future. He basically put his two weeks in on draft night, and they still haven't received the message. Exactly. Yeah, I just I, I don't really see how the resolution ever, ever comes about. I do think he'll be extremely prickly and overly so when he gets back, and I think that'll be a completely different situation to monitor. But uh, we've talked about this off air too, Zach. Uh, it's such a winnable division. I mean, if he just shows up and plays average, they'll win the division. It's just not very strong this year, and they're the prohibitive favorites. And you know, as long as he comes back, yeah, it's 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 a wild situation. I can't imagine being a Green Bay fan right now. Jordan Love, hopefully he's ready because training gets gets training camp gets going. He's getting these first team reps. If, if Rodgers, if we've seen the last of him in Green Bay, where, where do you see him landing? Because everybody's talking about Denver. And then I heard, was it two days ago? Because obviously the MLB All-Star break is in Denver. And I, somebody got a quote from Peyton Manning, and he said, I don't see him coming here. So if he's not going to Denver, where's he going? Well, I think the interesting thing with his possible destinations are you have to remember that Aaron still has to show up and agree and play to whatever team he's traded to. So let's, leave, let's use Cleveland, for example. If Cleveland gave away the farm for Aaron Rodgers, guess what? Aaron Rodgers is probably retiring and not going to Cleveland play. That's just how it is. He wants to be on the West Coast, and he wants to be on a West Coast team. I think the really, really obvious scenario would be Oakland, or I should say Las Vegas. That's the really obvious scenario because you feel like he could actually be an upgrade over Derek Carr and come in and play and 
have a significant impact right away. I think an under the radar one, and I think this would surprise people, would be Arizona. Uh, I've talked with you about this before. I think Arizona's in a win now mode. And I, I'm sorry, I do think Kyler Murray is a great quarterback, but Aaron Rodgers is absolutely an upgrade over Kyler. And I, if Arizona could ever swing it and make it work salary cap and money and players wise, uh, you can't convince me that Steve Kime wouldn't think about it and uh, possibly pull the trigger on it. I know Green Bay, the thing I was thinking about, especially during the draft, is obviously it comes up right at, and everybody's linking them to San Fran. So everybody's thinking, okay, is he going to go to San Fran? Are they going to flip them? Is Garoppolo done there? They move on. They they uh, they move a ton of picks. They bring in, um, oh my God, Trey Lance. Um, I've, t- I've talked to some of the people out in San Fran. They they don't see Lance. They see Lance as the long term answer. So if they're not an option, obviously the um, with Arizona. Do you think Arizona would just move on from Kyler? Because right now it doesn't appear Green Bay they, they like Jordan Love as the successor. Do you think they'd want Kyler, or could Kyler be on the move somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to say you wouldn't take Kyler Murray over yeah. Jordan Love. You know, Kyler Murray's played two years in the NFL and done extremely well and showed a lot of promise. And Jordan Love has, you know, barely played in a preseason game. So it's tough to say that you wouldn't take Kyler Murray over him. But I, I really do think that that would be a winnable scenario for both teams, yeah. considering the fact that, yes, Aaron Rodgers later in his career. But like we just mentioned, you're with a staff and an organization who needs to win now and have the talent around to win now. And yes, Kyler Murray is going to be a great quarterback, but is that for certain? And Aaron Rodgers is only 37 years old. You bring him in. He's your guy for the next four or five years. And I mean, that's really all you can ask for in the NFL. You can't play that 10-year window game where you're trying to build a dynasty franchise level program. If you can win now and have a reasonable timeline on it, you go for it every time. Is, is baseball still on the table for Kyler? Because they said, hey, by the way, you're going to Green Bay. He said, nope, I'm going to the athletics. Is that a thing? Did that happen? I would, I would think not because I think Kyler's so young in his career. He, and hey, the tough part about baseball is, yeah, when you get paid, it's all guaranteed, but it takes a long time to actually get paid in baseball. And I think Kyler probably would see that he's only two or three years away from a big time max extension where he's going to get a couple hundred million dollars. And I think the couple hundred million dollar contract in baseball for Kyler would be the absolute best case scenario. So, I mean, I, I don't think there'd be a scenario where Kyler doesn't actually show up. And I want to flip over to the college football. Obviously, the big news last week was name, image, and likeness is now a thing. College sports players can benefit from their own name, which they couldn't before. And CAA's finally kind of had to take the uh, take the training wheels off. And now it's it's kind of running rampant. It's it's kind of it's, I don't think anybody really understands what it is now, but we're going to kind of figure out later. What's been your thoughts on just everything that's kind of transpired? And how, did anything happen with you when you when you were committing to Georgia? Did anybody throw anything at you, or did you kind of stay away from that? Oh, I mean, I knew you were going to get me with that. Uh, I was a pretty heavily recruited kicker, but uh, again, I was a heavily recruited what? Kicker. So no, nobody threw anything at me or tried to give me uh, any incentive to, to join Georgia. But it's funny you asked that. I was, and my team was directly impacted by the lack of this rule when I was a sophomore. We had uh, AJ Green, which I'm pretty sure a lot of you, uh, a lot of fans have heard of. AJ Green was by far the best player on our team and the best receiver in America. And AJ Green needed some money, sold his own jersey that had been given to him as a gift from the school from the previous year for money. And he was suspended for it. And we lost a subsequent game. He was suspended and it completely derailed our season and completely derailed um, 
our goals for that year. And, and yes, by letter of the law, AJ was wrong and, and he did violate that. But in essence, did he really? Selling your own stuff is, is something that you could possibly have a violation for. So I am happy that those rules and those things are kind of going to be taken away now and people will not have to be uh, jeopardized from that. But I do think the NIL brings in a whole different uh, realm of problems. You're now going to be giving significant amount of money to kids who are 18, 19, 20 years old. And it's really um, generous to say that they're going to make great decisions all the time. So I, I really am hopeful that these universities have, have a good support system in place, whether that's from legal advice to, you know, people that can help money manage for them. Cause you know, now you've got a kid that's got $50,000 that had a thousand the day before. Um, sorry, there's going to be temptations there and there's going to be bad decisions to make. And as long as he's getting good guidance from the university, I, I think it'll all end up working out. But to say it's going to be smooth right away is a little bit naive, in my opinion. Do you think there's going to be the instance where some kids are just going to be so focused on all the endorsements and all the influencer type deals they're getting that maybe it'll take away from the time they're spending on football or basketball, whatever sport they're playing? Absolutely. I think you're 100% right on that. I think there will be those kids and those athletes, but eventually they'll start to see their playing time dwindle and they'll start to realize that, hey, you either got to go be the role of the athlete or you have to be the role of the influencer. And, and for some of them, being the role of the influencer is going to be the right call. So the NIL is really a, a positive thing because it's going to provide more opportunities for these athletes, not just to earn money, but to potentially, you know, further their careers in, in media or endorsements, whatever, whatever it may be, the NIL is going to be a good thing for these athletes in the long run. Do you think it'll encourage guys to stay four years knowing they can benefit off lightning? They don't have to just jump to the pros. I actually think it'll do the opposite. I think it'll make guys leave earlier because they see how much they can possibly get paid as a college athlete. And they'll see that, Hey, I could possibly double, triple, quadruple this as a professional athlete. And they'll realize that, you know, making that jump might be worth it. But I do think there will be some that, that, that stick behind, but I think the overall theme will actually make them go earlier. When you first got to Georgia, were there, is there like any like kind of like lectures or anything telling you that like, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do the sign anything? I mean, that's, that's, that's about half the time you spend initially are just going through meetings of what you can and cannot do, what's, what's okay with the compliance department. I mean, I think the compliance department plays an, an important role in university, but I will generally say that they were the most hated uh, department because all they would give is just speeches and tell you what to do, and that's their job. But, you know, there was a lot of red tape to go through uh, being a student athlete at a big-time university. Do you really, you think guys are going to just jump to the pros earlier knowing, okay, this is just scratching the surface? I think so, because I do think you're a little bit limited in college. Um, you know, it's hard to really earn full endorsements when you're showing up for 8 a.m. classes and, you know, going to team meetings and traveling by charter bus to games. I mean, it, it's tough to really portray the, the lifestyle that will be required by some of these. So I do think it'll make those, those kids who have the opportunity um, to, to jump early into the professional realm to do so. Do you think they're they're telling guys now, okay, sign with an agent, don't just take anything, don't sign with a company you've never heard of, kind of get people that know what's going to be going on and, and that way you're not you're not going to do anything you're going to jeopardize later on? I, see, that's a tricky part is, is what role do the agents play in all of this? Do they come in earlier? What are their, their rules been relaxed? And I'm not educated enough on it to, to comment on that aspect of it, but I would think that agencies would want to sign the guys that have already built in marketing and have built in influence. Uh, I, I don't know why they wouldn't. 
do you think this is going to change where guys commit to, or do you think they'll still go to the schools they want to play with the coaches they want to? They're going to go to try to maybe a bigger market where maybe they can make even more money. Do you think that'll swing anything with there? I think initially you'll see guys that maybe would have gone to that smaller, you know, Illinois school over Alabama. They'll go to Illinois initially, but I think overall it'll all kind of even out. I think people will want to go to those smaller schools where they can be the big fish rather than, hey, I want to go to Alabama because they're Alabama. I think they'll kind of look at it and say, is there an earning potential here by being a star at Illinois rather than being, you know, third guy in the depth chart at Bama? I do believe that will come into play. But overall, I think it'll, it'll revert to the mean and people will go to the best options. Yeah. Then I want to ask you, obviously, you play with the Matt Staffers now in L.A., not, not as much offseason buzz as I thought they'll be, maybe because the division's just so loaded. What are, what are you expecting from him this year? Because I think so. He's what is he? He's never made the never made the playoffs. If I'm correct, I think he made the playoffs when they played the Dolphins one year. And okay. I, I just I'm always aware of Matt and, and his successes. Obviously playing with him in college, so I do think he's made it and, and played the Dolphins. Um, yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. Well, obviously this year they're gonna have a lot of expectations, flipping multiple first round picks to get him, letting Jared Goff moving on from him. What, what do you think he can do that Goff couldn't? What, what, what's he like in the locker room that you think the guys can kind of revolve around? Quickly, I'm going to correct myself. It was the Seahawks, not the Dolphins. The Dolphins are okay. the Eds. It was the Seahawks in Seattle. It was like a <laughs> night game. Now I remember. Um, yeah. I, I was not playing for them at the time. Um, I think it's interesting that Matt's uh, coming in so, so under the radar this year, especially with the Rams. You know, like we talked about earlier, the division's just so loaded right now. I mean, you look at a team like Seattle who's coming off a great regular season, but a disappointing playoff run. Um, you know, they're probably the prohibited favorites in it, but then you look at a, a team like San Francisco and Arizona and they're just as dangerous as Seattle. So I think the Rams need to find their place earlier in division and, and try to win those games in, in the beginning and kind of just prop yourself up for that late season where, you know, you're going to have divisional games where you could probably drop one or two and still be in that good position. If the Rams come out and don't start hot and are chasing the whole year, that's what that's the recipe that they don't want because they're not really built for that. They're they're built to come out and beat teams and just have that explosive offense. And um, so yeah, I think how the Rams start the season is going to dictate how uh, how successful they are in the playoffs. Do you think he's going to be playing the role of kind of like a game manager until he gets the system going, or are you, you expecting them to just kind of be just rolling from the get go? He better not be because if he's playing the game manager, I'm not exactly sure why you traded for him. Uh, Jared Goff could do that adequately. Yeah, it just. For me, you trade for Matt Stafford because you want the guy that can throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns a game. Um, sure, Matt's going to make some aggressive mistakes, but I think in today's NFL, aggressive mistakes win. They just do. You look at, you know, Super Bowl stats, the days of guys throwing no interceptions kind of, you know, that's not really there anymore. They, they want you to take the risk. They want you to, to move, move the ball down the field, and that's exactly what Matt Stafford does. I, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how successful he could possibly be with the cast that he has around him because – you know, he's carried Detroit for so long. And I, I know Detroit tried to be a good organization, but when it comes to the players, they just didn't have them. They didn't have him around Matt. And it was hard to really judge so far how well he's done. I know in Detroit, a lot of the times you could see he was out there playing hurt, broken bones, broken ribs. You could tell he was out there just, just hurting. Now in LA, a little bit later in his career, do you think he's still going to kind of be that guy that's just going to play through anything? Or do you think he's going to be like, all right, maybe I need to come out a little bit, maybe take a game off, rest, heal, get going? Or do you think he's just going to be that same guy? Just I'll take anything. I just want to be out there. He'll be the same guy. He's, you know, Matt's a, Matt's a really tough football player, and uh, he's always been like that. So 
I think playing in Detroit just further exemplified that having to be tough, you know, getting crushed because your O-line wasn't up to standard. Um, What's the famous footage of him holding his wrist after he threw the game winning touchdown pass and he couldn't even move it. I mean, that's just, he's an ultimate warrior. He's always playing hurt. And I mean, I'm biased because he's a former teammate and he's a former dog, but I love Matt. And I think that Matt's going to be super successful there and he'll be true to what he's always been. When you, when you guys were in Athens, I obviously did not play college football. Most of my my <laughs> my mindset of what college football, like the, the team atmosphere is. Are you familiar with the with Blue Mountain State, the Blue Mountain State guy? Did you ever watch? I've, I, I know what it is, but I've never watched it. No. So one of the, I haven't seen it in a while, but one thing I remember is offense kind of hangs out with offense, defense kind of hangs out with defense, and then the backup hangs out with the special teams. Is that how college, is that how college locker rooms work, or does everybody kind of hang out with everybody? That's how it is in the NFL, too. Our best friends were the backup quarterbacks because they had tons of free time. All they want to do is play golf with us. So, yeah, it, it's that's how it is in the pros, too. But in college, it was even more secluded where, you know, you were with your position group and you were with your specialists because there's not just three like there are in the pros. In college, you got like 15 guys that are either walk-ons or backups. And so you, there's enough like camaraderie to kind of get a little a little squad going. So we had the specialist squad and uh, nobody messed with us. Do you, you have any good Stafford stories from when you guys play together? Um, so we played together one year. Uh, we started the year ranked number one in the country, which was awesome for a young freshman like me coming in. Um, I think the first taste that I got of what type of player Matt was, um, was we played Kentucky and we, Kentucky was not like, like they are now where they're a decent football team. Kentucky was not a good football team. And we were preseason number one. I think at this point we were in the top five still. And we went to Lexington, supposed to blow them out. Um, we go there and all of a sudden we're in a dog fight from the start of the game. Long story short, the game winds down. We're now down in the game, going on a game-winning drive. And I'm thinking, our season's over if we don't beat them. And we come down to a fourth down play, fourth and eight. Matt rolls out, hits A.J. Green in the back of the end zone, touchdown, we win the game. And that was my first taste of, of what it was like to have a, an absolute stud as a quarterback. Then I want to flip back to the NFL. Obviously, a lot of teams changed quarterbacks this year. One of them, Carolina Panthers, went out and got Sam Darnold from the Jets. What do you think he can do with – an actual offensive coordinator and play call? Man, that's a, that's a big question. What, what can Sam Darnold actually do? Um, I, I think Sam's got a ton of talent and I think it's been a tough situation being in New York the last two years or three years almost. Um, I think this is his make it or break it year. And that's, I know that's not going out on a limb, but going to Carolina, going under Joe Brady as your offensive coordinator and Matt Rule as a guy who's going to pay the extra attention to the offense uh, he's got to have some success this year. And I don't know whether that's winning eight, nine games or threatening to make the playoffs, but I can tell you if they go out and win five or six and, you know, he plays just average his time in Carolina, Carolina will be a one-year stint and he'll be on to somewhere else. Um, I think of all the quarterbacks in the NFL, this is the biggest make it or break it year is, is absolutely for Sam Darnold. And so I'm fascinated to see how he does. And staying in the division, Saints kind of have a toss-up right now who's going to be the starting quarterback. A lot of people think Jameis. A lot of people think Taysom Hill. I'm keeping my eye on Ian Book, even though nobody's talking about him. Um, <laughs> what do you think Jameis can do with 2020 vision? Do you think, you think he can hold that job? I would love to see the odds on Ian Book becoming the starting quarterback for the Saints. You, you'd I'd probably make a good amount of I would cash in. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know his agents. So I'd tell him in advance, like, hey, I'm, I'm betting on this guy. So, <laughs> All right, big Ian Book fan here. Um for me, I think the answer has got to be, it has to be Jameis Winston. 
Uh, I know Taysom Hill brings a lot of different things to the quarterback position, and he played well when he was the starter last year. But you look at a former number one overall pick in Jameis, and you know now that he does have his vision corrected, but being in the Saints system and being under Drew Brees has to have changed Jameis's outlook on playing quarterback. And I think that's what Sean Payton's baking on, is that I'm not getting the Tampa Bay version of Jameis. I'm getting the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees version of, of Jameis. And you add that with his already God-given talent, and I think that there's just a recipe for success there. So they're an under-the-radar team. No one's talking about them because Drew Brees is gone. But I think with Jameis's arm, that offense kind of opens up, and uh, it opens up Sean's creativity, and their division is strong but winnable. I think people forget that even though Tampa won the Super Bowl, they were a wild-card team. Um, there's no reason they can't make the playoffs and threaten for the division. That's my honest opinion. You were there like as a like the designated survivor kicker COVID COVID <laughs> guy, right? What, yeah. So were you you were just kind of away from what was that experience like? I know you talked about last time you came on. Were you around anybody? Did you or were you just kind of just like, all right, we need you, we'll call you. Around nobody, essentially. Um, you know, you would come in and practice with the other uh COVID practice squad type guys in order to stay ready for that week's game. But outside of that, you really had not a lot of contact with anyone. Um it was, I was essentially in self-isolation in New Orleans. It was not, it was nice to be on an NFL roster because I thought that would have helped um, kickstart my career back. Um, but outside of that, there was nothing great about being in, you know, secluded to your hotel room and, um, you know, not communicating with other teammates and not feeling like you're part of the team. So it was definitely an interesting and, uh, you know, once in a lifetime experience, that's for sure. But I am grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're, they're a great organization and, and the people there just, yeah, I've heard this before, but actually getting to experience it as a member of the Saints was cool. Is that they're just their staff there is awesome. Were you in contact with like the coaches? Who are you talking to? You were just kind of just like sitting in the hotel, just like watching Netflix, and they're like, "All right, we will we'll let we'll let's has COVID. When can you be here?" Uh, I mean, essentially, that's what you're preparing for. Um, you know, there's another long snapper in there, John Denny. He's played in the NFL for a long time. He was the emergency long snapper. So him and I, you know, became close and became friendly and hung out. But I mean, outside of that, you weren't really supposed to be around anybody else. So we were pretty good at doing our job in that sense. And uh, we stayed pretty secluded. Yeah, that's unreal. And then staying in division with, with Tampa, a lot of people are picking them to repeat. You, you, you don't think that's going to happen? If you made me bet on it, I actually think that New Orleans would. Yeah, I think New Orleans takes that division. I just... I think where Tom Brady is in his career, he's not trying to chase regular season wins. And I think he just knows that as long as you peak at the right time, that's really all that matters for him. And so, you know, again, it kind of goes back to how I talked about the Rams. If New Orleans starts off strong and wins some of those early games, watch out. Uh, you know, they're th they'll threaten to win 11, 12 games and, you know, be right there where they were last year. Cause you got to think about it. They had some changes in the off season, but not a ton. And, uh, yeah, you get your fans back in the Superdome. It's definitely you get your home field advantage back. It's setting up nicely for them. Yeah, and then I want I want to uh, go to to the Vikings. Is this the last season for Kirk Cousins in Minnesota? He falls a little bit into the Sam Darnold mold, I think. Here, um, you know, their success has not totally been predicated on whether or not he does well or performs. You know, you look at them the last couple of years. It's been an up and down roller coaster with their defense. First of all. Um, but then they just, I think Minnesota look, looking to be consistent again, you know, where they're, you know, winning three or four games in a row and kind of, you know, getting on streaks. The last couple of years, it feels like Minnesota is constantly going up and down. And that's tough. It's tough to have success when you're doing that. Um, 
but I, I'm not necessarily sure it's his last year, but he definitely has to have a big year for them to have success. And that's just how it is. What do you think of uh, Justin Jefferson last year? Stud. I mean, when you trade a guy like Stefan Diggs and you use the draft pick to take Jefferson, it, you end up looking great, but you know, Stefan had a great year as well. So I think both teams won in that trade, which is very, very rare in the NFL. But Je Jefferson looks great. Great compliment to Thielen. Kind of, they kind of do the opposite thing. Um, but I mean, they have the offensive weapons to put up 35, 40 a game. They just do. So anytime they don't, it's kind of a disappointment. But um, I think that has to be the real focal point of their team this year is actually their offense, because like I said, they have the guys to do it. What is their ceiling? I have to keep changing this because I'm still used to the 16 game schedule where I, I look at the wins and losses and eight and eight's an average year, but now there's no such thing as eight and eight anymore. Um, I think in their division, you know, you look at the rest of their division and Chicago and Detroit should be, you know, you should sweep that this year and there's four automatic. I think if they get to 10 wins, that would be kind of their ceiling. And I think they're low, you know, we had a disastrous years like seven. So uh, somewhere in there. So what do you what do you think Kirk needs to do to make sure that he he holds on to that job and they're not just sort of kind of fighting for a wild card so maybe they're kind of in the mix with the Packers because assuming Rodgers is back or maybe Jordan Love takes the uh, lead by storm. Right, I think Kirk they just need to let him loose on offense. Their scheme needs to be throwing the ball around, mixing it in with screen plays to Dalvin and letting him run as well. They they can't be just a heavy run centric team anymore because they don't have that elite defense that they had for years. Um, so for them, they have to really utilize their weapons. And, uh, you know, that sounds crazy saying that in today's NFL, but for them to have success, they just utilize their offensive weapons and just rely on the fact that they can outscore their opponents. And in that division, there's plenty of winnable games. So just win the ones you're supposed to, and they'll be fine. You think the secondary is going to be bolstered a little bit? I know they brought in Patrick Peterson. It's kind of an odd signing to not see him ending up there, but what, what do you think of that, that, uh, the backfield? Yeah, it's, a, it's an odd signing. I've known Patrick Peterson for forever. Him and I were U.S. Army All-American uh, Bowl oh. teammates from way back in the day. And Patrick and I played against each other in high school. So I, we go way back. I'm a fan of Patrick's. And, you know, I do believe that if he continues his base, he'll be a Hall of Famer one year. So anytime you, you add a guy like Patrick to your secondary, no, no matter what the move looks like, it's a positive move. Um, I just think for them, they need to they need to be more solid. That's the obvious statement. But their defense let them down last year, and, and that can't be the case this year. So, who who do you think right now? Who, who if you had to if you had to bet, who, who's your Super Bowl? Who do you like? Ooh, put me on the spot. I actually think, okay. I sound like a homer. One of my former teams, uh, I think Seattle makes that of the NFC, and I think the Chiefs are back in it again in the AFC. But yeah, I think this is this is Seattle's kind of best run they're going to have at it. You think on defense, they've done enough. I know last year they struggled a little bit. Uh, they're kind of, kind of, Russ had to kind of keep them in it. I know Jamal Adams came, came a little bit late. You think the defense has done enough? I know they lost Shaquille Griffin on the outside. You think they can kind of keep up? I think in today's NFL, you don't really have to have the elite defense. They just have to be good enough to not let you down, like we were talking about. And I think one of the biggest factors for Seattle is they played all of last year without their best weapon, their home field advantage. And people would come into their stadium and just completely be demoralized within the first quarter because of the atmosphere and how raucous it is and how just great their fans are. Um, so this year when all that's back and 
all their guys are pretty much back. And uh, I just – I don't see any reason why they can't make a run. Interesting. Macklemore would love that shit. <laughs> he's all the I had, uh, Walter Jones on because he always hang out with Macklemore and Chris Pratt and uh, some guy from Walking Dead. Apparently, they're at all the games, but it's wild. It's going to be great to see these stadiums packed this year after last year. It was just bizarre. It was just bizarre. Yeah, last year was just bizarre to watch on television. I can't even imagine how bizarre it was to play in it. I, the one game I went to, I was in the press box in New Orleans and with 3,000 fans there, that was extremely weird as well. So, yeah, it'll be nice to have a full NFL season. Yeah. And I want to ask you before I let you go, so you're doing some uh, school stuff with some uh, real estate. Yeah, I'm doing real estate out in California right now. Uh, it's been it's been a great market. Uh, learning from learning from my business partner who has uh, been doing it for almost 30 years and a good family friend. So I'm very fortunate. Uh, it's been fun. That's awesome. Because I, I was doing um, – I was reaching out. To, I was doing some networking a couple weeks ago. It came up. I was doing some networking with some a person I thought works at a, a sports marketing agency. I got the. I must have looked up the wrong name. And I so I was talking to them and I said, "So what, what, what do you do?" And she goes, "I do a lot of real estate for luxurious homes in California." I'm the wrong person. I don't, I don't know anything about this. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting." But I was really had no idea what this person was talking about. And I think by the end, they kind of knew. Okay, I've got the wrong person. So I kind of reached out after. It's like, "Hey, sorry about wasting your time. I really hope you didn't have anything more important going on." Um, but I kind of mixed up. Did enjoy talking. Never heard back. So that was that was, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. I would never do that. I'd respond. No, no, no. Yeah, it was wild. It was wild. Um, but yeah, but do do appreciate you taking time. I'm gonna double check who's up in this game. Hopefully, Phoenix and wipe out uh, Milwaukee, but uh, how can people find you on social media and then also uh, find your uh, stuff going on with real estate? Uh, I'm Blair Walsh underscore three on all of on uh, uh, Instagram. And I think you can get to all of my links from there. And, you know, yeah, that's my big social that I use. So follow me on there. Not TikTok guy? Not a big TikTok guy. I missed that generation. So one day, one day. Yeah, yeah, man. Well, do appreciate you taking time as always. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me on.